All right, as Kieran mentioned in the chat, all 35,000 of y'all are waiting. So we'll go ahead and get the show on the road. That's enough for the pre-show. It's 2021, June 4th, Friday. That's for you, Kieran. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. On the show with us today, Darren Zook. How's it going, fellas? Good. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Happy Friday. Yeah, man. Or Saturday if you're on the other side of the world. Yeah. <laughs> we lost Tyler. We just started the show and he's gone. He didn't respond and he's out of his chair. Okay. I said, great. Oh, I guess you were too Plus far not away. not come through. No, yeah. it wasn't that far away. It's like okay. my coffee machine. Well, I am back from Miami. Spent eight days there. Yay! I have lots of fun stories I could share about all kinds of craziness that happened. Um, blood trails. I've heard Miami kind of a crazy place. Of, what? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There was so much screaming and yelling and like drunken fights every night. Like when we were trying to sleep. That's great. There was one morning I woke up. It was a blood trail from, we were staying on the second floor of this place where you, you walk outside, right? And there's like this courtyard thing and, you know, your door to your place goes outside as Airbnb. And there was a blood trail that just kind of a heavy blood trail, right? There's splatters like on the ground and the wall. And it comes from around this corner from this other room, it goes past me and goes up the steps to my left. Uh, so, but I didn't go check it out beyond that. I'm sure it was just the bloody nose. Nothing to see here. <laughs> Probably. Oh man. You got uh, to see I, a cool party with some exotic cars, though. Yes. Yeah. Saw that the whole weekend was a party with exotic cars. It was unreal. Oh yeah, you're talking about the specific one in Coral Gables. Yeah. Yeah. That was. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. That was crazy. the The weird thing is, like, or I guess maybe the funny thing, we were right when we got there, we went to a few restaurants and we were just kind of chatting with some locals. Every single one of them was like. Ugh, you picked this weekend to come to South Beach. <laughs> Please don't judge us. You know, I don't know. Anyway, it was kind of funny. Wait, why? <sighs> was it was there a thing? It, it apparently it gets really, really crazy. Like lots and lots of people um come into South Beach and it just turns into like <clears throat> kind of like Mardi Gras, but maybe maybe a little bit lighter. Um like a light Mardi. Is it a is it a pride oh, thing for the of, for the month? Or is it no? It's, it was a it's Memorial else? Day weekend thing. Oh, okay, every year. yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah. I forgot it was over Memorial Day. Um, I know, yeah. like, what isn't isn't June Pride Month? Um, there's a there's a lot of that. Uh, so I know that. I don't like, know. Mark, I thought it was May because I thought it was happening last, or maybe it's June. I don't know. Is it, I yeah? I should know. I but it was know. a uh, it was a it was a uh, Memorial Day weekend thing. Apparently, that's <laughs> the worst weekend to be in South Beach. So, <laughs> unless that's you awesome. love being offered drugs like every twelve minutes. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to tech news. Uh, so today's yesterday in tech history. I laughed so hard when y'all said that. Uh, that but th great. this is actually yeah. this is actually today <laughs> in tech history. Some interesting things here. June fourth, eighteen seventy six. Express train crosses the nation in just 83 hours. Wow. Transcontinental Express arrived in San Francisco, having left New York City, showing up in just 83 hours. It says that any human being could travel across the entire nation in less than four days was absolutely inconceivable to previous generations <laughs> so of Americans. Cool. And now we're talking about anywhere in the world in an hour. That is. Yeah. Like an hour to a, four it's hours. It's a great time to be alive. Yeah. Indeed. And I had to go look up too. I don't know if y'all have ever followed the cannonball run stuff uh, where they basically do it's 
essentially the same distance, right? It's New York to California. There's a very specific location that you start in New York and a very specific location that you end in California. The record time there, I was actually walk, watching a documentary on this a couple months ago, but 25 hours and 39 minutes. It's a uh, 2016 Audi S6, and uh, they averaged 110 miles an hour. Wow. That whole time. Yeah. Across dang, the nation. Dang average. That's impressive. What's average. that? Is that, is it the, is it the cannonball run? Which, which race happens every year, but it, that you don't do it in nice cars because they, there's a budget, but yeah, the you five, can only the spend a certain amount of dollars to upgrade your car in whatever way you see fit. And then usually it's three drivers that rotate driving constantly. And the goal is to get across the nation as fast as possible. Yeah. And, and it's, it's all for like bragging rights. Yeah. I think it's called 24 hours of lemons. If you want to go to 24 hours of lemons. Oh, okay. Is that it? Yep. It's uh, apparently the craziest $500 uh, race cars. That's it. 24 hours. Yes. And you, I knew it was a stupid low budget, but I remember yep. reading uh, at least one story about that back in the day. And they do, they find like basically free cars. They fix the things that you would expect to need some fixing. They do it all by hand because that budget is really strict. Yeah. Then hire red and blue LEDs to the front of the car, add uh, a, a radar, right? Uh, one of the guys literally is spotting, you know, like has, has uh, binoculars <laughs> on looking for, for uh, officers of the law, I assume, as well as obstacles and other things like that. But then, uh, you know, some of the random little upgrades they do, and then they just cut everything else out of the car. Like there are yeah. three humans there to throw only three seats, you know, stuff like yeah. that. It's, it's a cool reads. I honestly sounds oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I honestly hadn't heard of this until now. This is awesome. I'm gonna have it's to so find cool. This. Go yeah. go dig into it. It's it the stories are phenomenal. And like uh it, it's great because they have breakdown stories, go figure, right? And some of those are absolutely epic too. It's like the car literally just broke in half, you know, like the axles fell apart, the wheels just fell off, you know, whatever it is, like any any little issue pretty much loses you the race. So your, your one chance to get everything buttoned up is right at the beginning. And I'm, they, they're welding stuff in, trying to keep things out. But again, with a $500 budget, like you, you just don't have that much flexibility. Yeah. <laughs> so the stories are great. Yeah. That's on the bucket list. So y'all let me know uh, if you want to do it. I'm in. I'm in. Awesome. But it can be done. I, I did buy a running car on copart.com once for $100 for an That's event. Awesome. I donated the car to an event where basically there were all these kids that were going to smash a car. And the hilarious thing about it is you also have these salvage wreckers that will buy your car or whatever's left of your car, bought the car for a hundred bucks, sold it to the salvage wrecker. They came and hauled it away for $125. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yep. It was like a 2001 Accord. Or yeah. I remember when you bought that. Accord. That's yeah. so funny. Yeah. Made money after it was demolished into a non-working condition. Pretty funny. Okay. We probably got to get to uh, some tech news. Well, I was, so. I was oh, just going to add, speaking, speaking of yesterday in tech history, um, pretty, pretty big drop yesterday. Uh, science fiction film War Games was released June 3rd, 1983. Oh, there you go. I was going to sure say definitely relevant to the tech yeah. side of things. The old Whopper. <laughs> yeah. No, that was a great one. We, I mean, it just reminds That's me awesome. we need to do another TBP movie night. Yes, we do. It's been since oh, it's January. It's been a while, yeah. <laughs> yeah, since January. 
I think was the last time we did. Man, this would have been the week for me to do it, too. Uh, He's going out of town this morning. Mm. Okay. DBP movie night tonight. tonight. There you go. (laughs) Surprise. Surprise. (laughs) I hope you don't like planning. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What else we got? What what do we have? We need to start getting into some new stuff here. Um, I know we need to. So Kieran had mentioned Twitter Blue launched. Uh, I saw it yesterday. It was in uh, Australia, I think, and Canada. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Did y'all see any news on it? I yeah. saw a headline, but I didn't. I didn't dig into it. Is yeah, I didn't Twitter dig Blue into it a lot me. either. But the whole idea is giving you the opportunity to do, uh, you know, undo tweets, viewing threads in an easier to digest reader mode. Um, I don't know. I, I can't say that. I, I don't think I'll be subscribing anytime soon, but. Doesn't look like we're going to have that problem. It's not available in the U.S. yet. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. somebody actually pointed out the fact. Oh, here we go. Uh, and you have a bookmark folder. Um, so, oh, I think one of the other things was that it's ad free as well, which was the only thing that started to be interesting to me was experiencing Twitter ad free. And then I realized you could just go to tweetdeck.com, which is owned by Twitter and is 100% ad free. Yeah. You also have the ability... <laughs> The undo tweet thing, I just, I don't, I don't get because you can just repost the same thing and bookmark folders. I'm not sure what they're going at there because you can already bookmark tweets, but I guess what they're saying is you can bookmark and then assign it to a specific folder of bookmarks. But I'd love to see the numbers and how many people are actually using bookmarks for Twitter, because I would bet most people don't even know that it's there. Yeah, I would agree. The average user certainly doesn't. But hey, you also get color theme options and the ability to change your Twitter app icon. <laughs> what? Why? Why are these pointless things? No, that's a great question. Ugh. And they called the the they called it uh, Twitter undo or just undo tweet, not Twitter yeah. undo. They called it undo tweet rather than fully committing to edit tweet. Right? If you could pay four dollars or five dollars a month or whatever to edit a tweet for some specific amount of time, it would be the same function, but have a name that is using what people have been clamoring for. Undo tweet just sounds like, eh, I'm going to delete a tweet, which people can already do. So yeah, you, you have to wonder, you have to wonder what the market is for this, you know, for, for their customer base. I mean, yeah. obviously everybody wants that undo button or the edit button. Um, but beyond that, I just don't know what the market's going to look like. And the other thing, too, that I just noticed in this article, um, which is out on The Verge, uh, Twitter Blue subscribers will also get access to dedicated subscription customer support. Oh, I'm like, yeah, I saw that. Customer support for Twitter. Why? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't make sense. It's like, let's find a grab bag of junk. <laughs> let's throw it in and we'll call it something and we'll take money. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Ugh. Okay. Something else we also had talked about previously uh, that is now that has now officially launched is HBO's Max ten dollar ad supported plan. So I can't wait for the financial reports from HBO yeah, to tell I us see the how numbers. few people are actually paying money to watch ads. So, anyway. or, or how many? Because HBO Max is actually doing very well uh, considering the uh, the streaming wars that are going well, on. Yeah, it's all well, those revenue problem- streams. Yeah, but they're only saving four dollars or five dollars. I think it's like fourteen ninety nine for ad free and ten dollars for ad supported. If you, why why are you going to pay two thirds the price? You know, I would. Like if if four ninety nine matters that much, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. If, if it matters that much to you, then don't pay for HBO. Like, go do something else with your life. Like, go outside yeah. and run. 
or something. No, running's terrible for your knees. It costs Go outside way more and than swim. HBO. I don't know. That's that's Whatever. better. Much better for your knees. You have to wonder if they're trying to they're trying to market toward the crowd that has so many subscription services that they're just trying to cut down on some costs and therefore it's like, hey, I'm willing yeah. to take a few ads just because of the fact that I want to save a few bucks here and there. Probably. Yeah. Could be. And and maybe it's just people like tiers too. So there's the ten dollar a month tier, which makes them one of the cheapest streaming services, and then there's the fifteen dollar a month tier, which is what everyone expected when they ordered it in the first place. <laughs> and all of those prices are going to go up over time, just like Netflix does to everyone anyway. So who cares? Yeah. Yep. That's true. That's true. It's going to be 10 bucks and it's going to be 11 bucks and it's going to be 14 bucks. You're it's not going to pay attention because it's going to be auto drafted off of your card. Right. And there it is. So, What's a budget anyways. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> somebody recently stole uh, my credit card number and it's been one of the greatest things because I've been alerted to so many subscriptions <laughs> I was paying for it that I had no idea about. Because it's terrible. like, hey, hey, we can't seem to charge your card. Can you come in and update your card? It's like, no, you were char- what? You were charging me what? What? <laughs> for, for that? No. So that's awesome. Yeah, that was great. I, on the other hand, meticulously check my credit cards for charges. Yeah, yeah I, I should. <laughs> I should. I probably do it like every four or five months just to see like what's going on. But uh, okay. What's next? What's next? So There's- I think this is interesting. Uh, uh, article out on ours ransomware will now get priority treatment at the justice department that's the same article i was about to toss out there oh. I, I was just glad to see some good news about ransomware uh now it's it's good news because there's so much bad news that our yeah. justice department decided they needed a special task force that focused entirely on ransomware and a few other internet related crime um avenues i guess but yeah, yeah that, that was cool is this yeah, they, I mean, does it say why? Like is this because of the colonial pipeline one or is well, it because it's, of the it's meat? just so the all yeah, of they, industry all one? Of they want to centrally it? track and coordinate all cases involving ransomware and or other or I should say or related right. types of cybercrime. So they're they're calling out botnets, money laundering, bulletproof hosting. Um, I mean, and it does come at a good time. You know, we're seeing the ransomware attacks kind of crazy right now. I saw uh, Cox radio and TV stations were apparently hit yesterday at some point. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's out of control. You saw the, uh, what was it? The beef processing company yeah. recently. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they're saying is like critical infrastructure is the vulnerability has been highlighted because of some of the recent breaches, you know, uh, ransomware attacks have been going on for years and, and lots of them, but I don't think they hit the news as much because they weren't as prominent. Um, so it, I, I, it's this is one of those things where it's like I'm glad to see it, but I'm also super disappointed that it took this long, right? Because really, this tax task force should have existed before we had pipelines and and global meat processing companies getting effectively shut down or having major disruption to their supply chains. And the other thing that cracks me up about this is like botnets and online money money laundering. These were big problems before ransomware was a big problem. Like, where has the DOJ been spending their time? Why did we just decide because of the pipeline issue, assuming it was actually, you know, a timeline related event? Why did we decide now that we actually care about massive online money laundering or the shit show that is botnets all the time? Um, well, the, I, I'm, the- I'm curious as to what what actually drove them to put it together now. 
The military and, and jets couldn't get their fuel, maybe? <laughs> it could be. <laughs> and the other one, I actually missed this when I read it. Cryptocurrency exchanges are on that short list. Um, mm. So, uh, in terms but, of but, fraud, or well, it must be. Or and, you know, yeah. oh, you know what it might be. It could be stuff like the exit scams you hear about, mm. um, which is fraud. Obviously, it's theft. Yeah. But it's the okay. It looks like we're going to have a, a solvency issue, so we're out. Or or it's going to be investigating other avenues of crime it seems it seems like if you're concerned about online money laundering you could be looking at crypto assets just like you look at you know traditional banking right but why why specifically focusing on crypto exchanges I, that one's kind of curious to me so this is saying here that it the US DOJ is elevating the investigations to a similar priority as terrorism right specifically so i guess That's they a big have deal. priority levels and there's a lot of, you know, just kind of flipping through a bunch of the tweets in here. There's a lot of people saying, yay, this is positive, blah, blah, blah. I was trying to find somebody with an opposite opinion. I've got at PM, oh, oh sorry. Oh, it's Paul Melson, at P Melson on Twitter. Hot take, if the scope of this policy change is limited to US DOJ, it won't be enough to solve the problem. FBI already right. cares a lot. Prioritizing the prosecution of foreign nationals located in non-extradition <laughs> countries is right. not going to be meaningful. No, it's not going to help. But I, I get I get where they're coming from, right? Like you're probably not going to be able to get to the source. But if the Department of Justice is uh, elevating the pursuit of these, you know, online issues, it means that the middlemen can also be shut down. So you could have major issues with ISPs uh, that are allowing botnets to function and doing so when they potentially have the tools to stop it. As an example. Um, same thing with cryptocurrency exchanges. It's not very difficult for the DOJ to say, okay, great. If you're not going to do these things, you can't operate in the United States. And in short order, though the DOJ can't do this explicitly, they can make recommendations to do so. You, American citizen, cannot use an exchange that isn't in the United States. And if you do, then there are criminal activities that happen on the backside, and we're going to pursue you as well. So implying that just because the source of the problem may be outside of the border and there's no extradition doesn't mean that a heightened attention from a judicial perspective isn't going to impact some of those those avenues. Will it stop it? No. But can it help stem it? Absolutely. And I wonder too, if there's an aspect of this where they regulate how companies inside our country respond. Right. Well, the DOJ wouldn't. So this, I mean, this is definitely on the pursuit side of illegal activity, right? Like they're not going to get involved in making new laws other than I, I assume that they provide recommendations to lawmakers, but they're, they're on the, you already yeah, broke yeah. the law side That's of the true. fence, right? So it, but, but if, if it's a special task force and this, this, I don't know, I'm speculating as to exactly how our, our uh, government actually sort of shares and, and determines which laws need to be produced, how much feedback mechanism there is from the Justice Department side. For instance, if they know money laundering is happening in certain places, how much of a feedback loop goes to the you know, Congress to make a new law that says, okay, banks, this is why we have know your customer laws, as an example. Um, I, I don't know if that's how that feedback loop works, but I would expect stuff like this and pushing things that high will just spotlight areas where we can affect change that isn't necessarily just arresting somebody ex extraditiously.
Well, sure. and I think the other thing for me too is, you know, as I look at all these ransomware attacks and otherwise, uh, I think it continues to bring to the forefront of everybody's mind the fact that, you know, you can't be passive in your security approach. And and I think for me, I, I look at it and go, well, you know, hopefully this is a wake up call to customers that are not customers, I'm sorry, but, you know, to organizations <laughs> all across the US like that, hey, you know, security is more than just firewalls. It's more than just antivirus. You know, it, it's a it's a state of mind. You have to come at it from the perspective of user education. You have to come at it from the perspective oh, of utilizing all the tools and you know resources that are out there um, to you know to protect yourself against these things. Because the reality of it is, is that you know the bad actors. You know, the government can go after the bad actors uh, before and obviously after something like this has occurred, but. You can protect yourself against it by really doing a better job of of educating your users at the same time. Yeah, that's that's a big part of it. But, and we talked about before too. It's it's one of those scenarios where, arguably, there are a litany of best practices when it comes to security that lots of companies don't pursue because of cost. And so, until something happens that costs a lot and actually impacts the bottom line or causes major IP issues, among other things, they don't they don't take it seriously. And shy of being told legally you have to and having fines commensurate with you know whatever cost you think is going to take to implement it, you know it it takes a long time to change behavior in organizations that don't already take something like this seriously. Yeah, and you're only as strong as your weakest link, you know. And if so, if your weakest link is ultimately your end users who you know don't have the education, you know, I, I think that's the big thing is you've got to come up with new and innovative ways to reach those folks and help yep. make security a true state of mind. For sure. What else we got? Yeah, I'm just uh, cruising through some stuff here. Um, Y'all have anything? Um, so I had put this one out there on Wednesday. I think uh, we had, we've all kind of been in uh, in this state since uh, the pandemic started. Uh, some of us obviously beforehand, but uh, there's a Bloomberg article about how employees are quitting instead of giving mm. up working from home. Um, and obviously, as we come out of the pandemic, you know, I think we've all kind of seen that there's some been some attrition and and moving around within our industry. Um, and you know, you have to wonder how much of this comes into play there. Uh, I know for me, I mean, you know, I've gotten very accustomed to working from home. I felt like it's been, you know, a huge uh, um, improvement in terms of, you know, being able to get things done, being able to focus on my own. But at the same time, I also see some of the businesses, you know, Apple, I saw also had kind of announced uh, in a recent memo that they want their employees to return to offices by September for at least three days a week. And so I also see that side of it. It's like, hey, there is definitely no replacement for, you know, that that in-person collaboration. Um, so but, uh, but yeah, what do you guys think of that? Quitting instead of, uh, quitting instead yeah, of, I mean, that's, that's pretty aggressive. I think you got to have options. I I'm also curious, you know, like, and, and I didn't read that whole article, so maybe they get into it a little bit, but I would imagine that this is dramatically different depending on the role. I, I imagine sort of the, the, <laughs> the, the stereotypical basement dwelling, you know, programmer probably doesn't give a crap about going back to the office, nor necessarily would the office ne- need them to, to come in and do some of the collaboration. Some of that's ignorance, though, too. I'm sure getting in a room and actually collaborating is good. I know certain people, though, just don't care for it. It's like, put me in the corner and let me do my thing. I don't need to be at the water cooler. I don't need a whiteboard, that kind of stuff. Um, 
And but I would also argue in that particular role, there there is a big push to I can do this for you from anywhere. So the the C got a lot bigger for job opportunities too. So having the flexibility to say, I know I don't want to go back to the office, I quit, kind of you have to have enough prospects to go replace your income unless you're already, you know, retired early or something like that. So that's not going to apply to a lot of folks, right? Yeah, I would agree. Not, I mean, the, not wanting to go to the office doesn't mean there's another job waiting for you. Yeah, the example they give in the beginning of the article, you know, I mean, it, it talks about a gal who had uh, taken a position uh, as a research compliance compliance specialist in February, enticed by the promise of remote work. Um, and then ultimately, as you know, things started to let up around the uh, oh. stay-at-home, you know, side of things. The meeting invites began to pile up, and the final straw for her came a few weeks ago when there was a request for an in-person gathering scheduled for all of 360 seconds, uh, six minutes. Oh, shit! She got dressed, dropped her ki- two kids at daycare, drove to the office, and had a brief chat, and decided at that point she was done. Well, wow. okay, so that I totally appreciate. See, I mean, that's yeah. almost like a bait and switch problem. Hey, come here. You can that's... work from home, flexible schedule. And then ah, uh, we decided we don't care about the pandemic. We're there in Texas and it got canceled a couple months ago. And uh, and boom, you're expected to come back in the office. Like that sucks. Yeah. yeah. That's where I was going to go with that is, I mean, I have a lot of different comments on this, but I think one of the people or one of the people, one of the things that I um, would probably primarily focus on here in this conversation is that a lot of people's lives have changed drastically right through this process they found some new equilibrium in how they can function and where they can go and new support for you know engagement with their kids that they may have or you know maybe an elderly family member that they're caring for or just whatever kind of unique situation they've been able to adjust through this and if you're going to force them to come back like the memo from tim cook says you have to you have to be there Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday with the option to work remotely Wednesday and Friday. That seems like, you know, very strict, right? If, if yeah, you were just to tell me, hey, strict, we'd like to come up. Better yeah. maybe than it used to be, right? So I, I think what's neat about this is that it means, I assume, Tim Cook and his executive staff have sat down and said, you know what? We think that there is more value, whether it's productivity or mental health or whatever, in having people see each other face to face on a regular basis and be kind of in the room under the umbrella, whatever, whatever that justification is. But they recognize, at least to some extent, that, that this new normal, this new equilibrium is people are, are more accustomed to and have a higher expectation for the flexibility that comes with a work from home schedule. Yeah. Get your stuff done. Don't drop all the, you know, don't drop the balls, but that also includes a little bit more of a non-traditional work-life balance. And so it's, it's kind of cool that they're leaning into it, but, but I agree, like, uh, you must be here on these days is, uh, it, it seems a little strong, but I don't know how you get what you want without doing stuff like that. So, I think there has to be there has to be a healthy middle ground. You know, you have to take a, a hybrid approach to it. Um, yeah. And, and I think, you know, again, there is no replacement for that in-person collaboration. I mean, you know, you're not going to get totally the agree. same level of collaboration over a Zoom session that you're going to get with a bunch of folks sitting in a conference room around a whiteboard. No, um, you've got to offer that though, right? You've got to offer it. You've got to make it available. You've got to have 100%. space, co-working yeah. space. It's available for people that mm-hmm. want to and can. It's got to be good. Is a, yeah, requiring it is a significant decision, right? 
Yeah. I, and I think you're seeing more, yeah. you're seeing more companies too also embrace this idea of, Hey, as people return back to the office, let's not make the office a place where everybody's got assigned a seating anymore. Let's make it much more collaborative, right. more shared, you know, to make everybody feel like, Hey, this is, this is more flexible than what it used to be. Yeah. I, I think Aaron's comments though, I, I think that's the crux of a lot of this. Right. And, and I don't think we've seen the stories about this. I also don't think a lot of organizations have the resources to make it real, but what arguably organizations should be doing is compelling their employees to come to a space to collaborate when Correct. it's useful and valuable. Those are very different things. Like yes. I, I, I've worked with organizations that got to that open work concept, right? Like kind of forced it upon their employees. And people on average just seem to hate change because nice new office, pretty bright white lights, but they immediately found all the things they hated about this open work concept. Part of the problem being they need somewhere to sit and do their own things. And they're not all using VDI deployments. So they kind of have to have an asset somewhere. Not everyone gets a laptop. Not everyone has a laptop in in certain cases, or maybe you need two or three monitors, but you don't have docs everywhere. Like those kinds of issues. And then it's well, yes, we have collaborative spaces, but an insufficient number of collaborative spaces for the number of people that are going to be here. And unassigned seating is actually more disruptive than useful. And so people are ragging on it and they're not seeing it as a boon to come and actually work together. It's like you have to be really purposeful about drawing your employees to collaborative spaces as opposed to just imposing it on them. So I, I totally agree with that concept. Yeah, if you require on site, you're limiting to a certain region where you can recruit. You're limiting yeah. to a certain type of worker that can mm-hmm. physically be present every single day, right? You're limiting in a number of different ways. Whereas if you just have the option and the capability for people to participate with the added inclusive efforts of, okay, if you know, if 85% of us are going to choose to get together on Tuesdays, then let's have let's leverage a, a, a tool like Zoom or something, right? So they can be somewhat present or participate or whatever, right? At least observing. But anyway, there's yeah, a bunch and of I think I think that's the thing that, you know, the pandemic has ultimately, you know, revealed to a lot of us is the fact that we can be effective, you know, with with certain things around um, you know, around work from home, but at the same time, you know, there is no replacement for that in-person stuff and I think that's ultimately why some companies, you know, you're seeing this where some companies are saying, "Hey, we want to we want to encourage some of this by by forcing people back to the office at least a few days a week. Yeah, could be. I mean, I notice it. I, I would rather have collaborative spaces right now for certain things, but but I, I don't. I, I I come from a position where I didn't have an assigned seat in an office before the pandemic. So it's it's easy for me to say, yeah, I want a snack bar and a giant whiteboard with some with some tables, and I want to go to my customer sites and interact with them face to face because it is far, far more valuable. But uh, it would be ineffective if I were told I need to be in an office on certain days of the week. It, it doesn't fit the job type that I've got either. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it, It's going to be very interesting to see how this all unfolds and which side of the equation ends up being uh, <laughs> the winning side, I guess, if you're going to play it out that way. Does, do the apples of the world saying you must be here on these days of the week keep their top talent or does top talent go somewhere that has more flexible work? And I, I have a feeling I know which which Titan wins that fight, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a great question. 
That's a fantastic question because work from anywhere, I wouldn't even call it work from home. It's work from anywhere has become so powerful. It's a big deal. So powerful. I mean, yeah. I I, I think it just becomes examples, but yeah, no, of course. Um, I I think it becomes something that is, I, I guess what I'm curious to see is if the momentum that work from anywhere has becomes as critical to the working population as salary and benefits if, or other benefits, I should say, like, does that become the next big way for up and coming, you know, businesses to draw top talent or does it continue to be, you know, your prominence in the market and how much you're willing to pay, right? Like how, how much balance gets fit to work, work from anywhere. Let's go around the room. If you were, and I don't know if y'all want to answer this question, but if you were forced to work <laughs> three, four, or five days in an office, forty minutes from you, would you go? Would no, you stay I would in that probably job? find a find a new one. I'd find I, a new job, uh, assuming there's a job to find. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I would say it depends on how much flexibility there is in that. You know, if it was rigid, if it was, hey, you have to be in the office these days of the week, uh, sure. I would have to think long and hard about it. Uh, I'm yeah. not saying no, but I would have to think long and hard about it. And I think you know, Kieran brought there, up there it is. The, yeah. yeah, Kieran brought up in the chat, you know, offering that flexibility, um, but encourage people, ha- you know, on how to decide if they need to come in or if they're happy just to dial in. Yeah, you know, again, it's it's all about that flexibility. Yep, that's right. That's right. All right, hit one more and let's shut it down. <sighs> oh man, got? I I got this one's close to home, and I I think it's a it's a fun conversation. So Samsung apparently is just shattering its. SmartThings acquisition. And they've announced this a while back, but this month, um, I guess, starts one of the sort of bigger momentous elements, which is they're they're shutting down the original SmartThings V1 hub. And um, I'm really glad I read the article because I don't have a SmartThings V1 hub. So SmartThings is a it's a Wi-Fi enabled hub that lets you connect to lots of uh, Internet of Things devices in your house, right? So lots of devices use other networks, so non-Wi-Fi, not 2.4 gigahertz, doesn't compete with your your cell phone, your laptop, you know, the normal devices in your house that most people are used to connecting to that, you know, ID, your Wi-Fi signal, right? Um, lots of cool reasons to have those networks, in particular, a couple of big standards are Z-Wave and Zigbee. They're mesh networks, which means every device acts as a repeater. Great for connecting lots of stuff. And again, it's less pollution. It's Wi-Fi signal. Um, the what what's curious about this is that SmartThings is one of the most successful and vibrant Internet of Things communities in the world. And Samsung purchased it. It was actually started as a Kickstarter. Uh, I forget when I, it was in the article. I'm sure, but. Um, but it, it looks like SmartThings isn't just deprecating an old hub. Sam, sorry, sorry, Sam, Samsung. Um, they're, they're deprecating the old hub. They've already kicked manufacturing of the new hubs to Aotech, a German IoT company, right? So they're getting very little from that. They're offering users that are upgrading from the V1 to like the, the current V3 hub basically the ability to do so for 30 or $35. So this isn't just a money grab trying to, to get a later tech. But the, the bigger problem is they they changed the classic SmartThings app and they released a Samsung SmartThings app that was way less capable. They dropped an IDE, like a, a development platform support um, for 
basically the community to program against smart things and bring things that don't necessarily have smart things to port into it. And by the looks of it, they are killing all of the things that made smart things really successful in a way that kind of implies they're going to just shut the whole program down at some point. Um, which is really disappointing, not just because I'm a user, but because it highlights the issue with these kinds of major emerging technologies. Like if you have to get off of smart things, it's non-trivial. You know, every device has basically an unpairing uh, method that is long and short of it, it's painful. And it can be really sort of arcane depending on the device, you know, wiggle your tail, stand on one foot, hop three times and, and, and say the magic words to get it to unpair from the old device and pair it to a new one. And um, so it's curious to me that Samsung's killing this arguably very successful platform um, just because they're refocusing. And it, and it sucks. Like it, it sucks in general because when large organizations buy a successful Kickstarter, they take a community, they bring it into their fold, and then they just kill it. It's so... It just it's disturbing because smart homes are so freaking cool. Yeah, and and honestly, this is my biggest fear with with the whole smart home thing in general. Uh, yeah. So I'm a, uh, in my house. I've got a lot of uh, the Philips Hue stuff. I also have um, the uh, Lutron Kaseya. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's my biggest fear is like you know when you look at when you look at these ecosystems that I think most of us have come to rely on quite heavily. Um, <laughs> The idea of it of the rug being pulled out from under us is is terrifying because it's like you you come to depend on them and it's like hey first world problems obviously yeah um, but you know it's it's one of those things where I think about it even you know with with uh, you know even like digital media and all the marketplaces that we have with iTunes and you know Google Play Store and other things yeah is like hey we've bought into these ecosystems we're buying things in those ecosystems. But there's nothing stopping, you know. Obviously, they've got you know, um, uh, you know, agree- license agreements and otherwise that say, hey, we may keep this here for X period of time. But there's nothing stopping them at some point from ripping that rug out, and everything yeah. that you've pour- poured into that uh, from a money perspective is gone. You know, so yeah. it's the same thing with this. It's like I feel bad for all these folks who you know have bought into smart things and ultimately now are are looking at potentially the impending shutdown of this. Yeah, and and it's not you know it's not like the end of the world, right? Because you can. The nice thing about the smart things ecosystem is that those two standards I mentioned, Zigbee and Z-Wave, they're mm-hmm. they're open standards. I say open standards. I, I I don't know that they're free to license, but they are they are very well standardized, like Wi-Fi is standardized. So there will likely always be another device that does us shoot. Google Homes do it now. Uh, I think they only do Zigbee. I think. Um, uh, Amazon's Echoes do Z-Wave and Zigbee or, or one or the mm-hmm. other. I forget which ones they're doing now too. So as long as you have devices that support one of those and there continues to be any hub, I mean, there are alternatives, right? Habitat, there's Home Assistant, which is a, a home, home-hosted home version of this stuff. The problem is, is that, that that ecosystem was so big, so vibrant, and there's a lot of automation that was built on top of it using that IDE, using the platform. That when you when you do that, like people are going to lose a ton of really good community sort of driven support um, that works really well, and and it's just overnight it's going to get crushed. So pity. Hey, I got one more quick one before you shut it down. Uh, Kieran dropped this. <coughs> excuse me, Kieran dropped this in the chat, and I want to make sure we get it in here. Uh, Stack Overflow. Sold to tech investor Prosus. Prosus. 
I'm not sure how you say that for $1.8 billion. Billion. Yeah. Billion with a B. Yeah. Wow. Not a small amount. Uh, legendary programming Q&A site, Stack Overflow, if you're not familiar with it, that's what it is, being acquired by ProSus NV, Europe's largest tech investment firm. According to a press release, uh, the two companies entered into a definitive acquisition agreement yesterday. The uh, There's some interesting facts. Stack Overflow is the 46th most heavily engaged site in the world, which I didn't wow. know. No. Yeah. So I was trying to I was trying to dig in. Why in the world? Why in the world? One point eight billion dollars. Why? Yeah, that's that's huge. Forty six most heavily uh, trafficked. Um, <clears throat> the site has served as the first stop for developers searching for answers to their programming related questions, and eventually their non programming related questions. Yeah, which I didn't realize it did, but uh, including culture, recreation, art, science, business, and more. I was trying to find some other things. Um, <clears throat> they have a hundred million plus monthly visitors. There's another wow. fact for you. And here's another one. This is interesting. 25% of its visitors copy text within five minutes of hitting one of its pages. Wow. Holy cow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So there's another one to chew on. Yeah, that's billion. nuts. Man, I'm, I'm kind of eager to hear more about that. This is, is curious too. I guess Naspers, the process's parent company, bought a, an almost 50% interest in Tencent. For only thirty-four million, wow! Which uh, seems seems absurd at this point. It does. Oh my gosh! Yeah, look at that. Okay, so that was in '01. That was oh my early. Gosh. Prosus liquidated a two percent of its ten cent stake. That that almost fifty. It was a forty-six point five percent to be more specific. They liquidated two percent of the ten cent stake for fourteen point six billion. Oh. What wow. a freaking investment return! Yeah. Holy so cow! It's nothing. What's left, this 28.9%. So I guess they got rid of some other one. Yeah, they must have shed some of the, the 10 cent stake earlier. They, they're estimated is a $200 billion remaining stake in 10 cent. Okay, yeah, so 1.8 billion is a, is a joke at this point, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they definitely, it, it, it says they, they quote, created some headroom for acquisitions. You think? Yeah, holy <laughs> wow. cow. That's awesome. All right. Wow. Well, let's uh, let's let's yeah, make some headroom for acquisitions here too by shutting down another episode of Tech Breakfast Podcast. Thanks for joining us, Darren. It's a pleasure to have you on, man. You're a pro at this. Thanks for bringing all the news, bringing all the opinions, Aaron. It's great to have you back, listeners. What, what? We hope you enjoyed. We're glad you're sharing this with your friends, your family. We hope you have a lovely weekend, and we will talk to you on Monday. Maybe Russell join us. Bye. Peace. See you.